We are going to uh, pick up where we left off, uh, I guess, three weeks ago. Uh, and uh, we are going to address the first uh, 39 books of the Bible, uh, also known as the Old Testament. Um, and we'll also hopefully get to uh, the Apocrypha, which Josh was asking about a few weeks ago. And uh, we'll have a lot to say about that as well. So how many, uh, how many books are in the Bible 66, okay. Uh, how long, over uh, what amount of time uh, were they written? Yeah, approximately 1,600 years. How many authors? Yeah, just just over 40. There's a discrepancy as to, you know, some of the books and who authored them. So uh, probably between 40 and 45 authors. Um, here's what's amazing about the Bible, and I think probably we've all considered this, is that over that period of time among those people on uh, three different, uh, in three different uh, continents, really, um, they've woven together uh, a story from beginning to end that is the same. It's the same story about the same God, uh, about the same Savior um, that doesn't contradict itself, and, uh, in fact, complements um, uh, each part of it. Uh, so uh, certainly, as we've talked about over the weeks, uh, there, there really is uh, no other explanation for what we have in the Bible other than that it is um, the, uh, the inerrant, uh, sufficient, uh, infallible Word of God. Um, but the question that we have to yet answer is, how is it that we came to decide upon uh, the books uh, that are in the Bible? We have 66 books. Why aren't there more? Why aren't there less? Um, who decided that they were the right books? Um, what reasons were behind them? Uh, maybe it was a meeting of Jewish rabbis or, uh, or bishops in the church later on. Um, and was there ever any doubt about any of the books as to whether or not they should be included? Um, why don't we uh, have the Apocrypha in our Bibles, whereas uh, some who claim uh, to be Christians do? Uh, so those are some of the questions that we're going uh, to try and answer uh, tonight. Um, the word canon uh, we use to describe the uh, the completed collection of the books of the Bible. So we speak of the canon of the Old Testament and the canon of the New, uh, the New Testament. The word canon itself uh, is a Greek word for a, uh, for a reed, which was used as a, a, a ruler, uh, a measuring rod. Um, Paul used this uh, word in Galatians 6.16. He, he speaks of those who follow this rule. Um, so uh, the, the word was later used in the 4th century to refer to the collection of books in the Bible, the rule, the guide, the, uh, the plumb line of which uh, we, we look to for uh, faith and life. Um, so the question we're going to ask tonight is about the canon of the Old Testament. Why do we just have 39 books in the Old Testament canon, and how did we come to decide upon those books? Well, the early uh, 
Hebrew believers, those who would uh, have been living uh, after the Old Testament was complete and uh, on through the first century and on, um, they divided the Old Testament into three distinct sections. Now you have those on the sheet that you were handed. The three divisions. First was the law. And we'll come back and discuss each of these. Uh, the law being the first five books of Moses, otherwise known as the Pentateuch. What is Penta? Five. So speaking of the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The second division was the prophets. This included the earlier prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, uh, and the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all of the books from Hosea to Malachi. And the third uh, division is called the writings. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. So you see uh, these divisions referred to in the scriptures, and we'll look at that later, um, that uh, Jesus himself refers to these uh, divisions. So uh, we have biblical evidence of these actual divisions uh, having been uh, held to. Now, as we look uh, through uh, the books of the Bible historically, we're going to see that uh, we refer to uh, we refer to the books of the Bible um, as uh, as being 39 in the Old Testament. Uh, when we look historically, we're going to see uh, 22. Why is that? Anyone know? We're more added. Okay, so kings would have been put together. So first and second kings were one. Okay, first second Samuel. Chronicles, yeah. The minor prophets were all uh, put into one book called the Book of the Twelve. So that takes 12 of them out. So there, you see a lot of that uh, combining of books that we have divided out. Um, so that's the only uh, distinction, but... Um, the text is the same. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah were also combined to make a one book. So uh, when you look historically at church history, uh, for instance, we're going to consider uh, the, the uh, works of uh, Josephus, who was a, a, church, a Jewish historian around A.D. 70. He numbers 22 uh, books, but they contain all 39 of the books that we have in the Old Testament. Um, Josephus also listed five books under the law, 13 under the prophets, and four under the writings. Um, and the order of them varied and everything else. So it can get a little bit confusing as you look historically, but uh, we, we do know that they were all, uh, it, the text was all the same. So let's look specifically at, uh, at um, the law itself and how we can see um, and the argument I'm going to make tonight is that the books that we have in the Bible are not as a result of uh, church councils, are not as a result of uh, the meeting of bishops or scholars, uh, but that the Bible itself attests to its uh, authority as uh, the Word of God. And uh, that the Bible itself tells of its um, 
of it being the word of God that is sufficient for us and that uh, there is uh, no need for the uh, affirmation of a church council or anything of that nature. Uh, The Bible is sufficient on its own. Uh, And so we begin with the law uh, and the fact that Moses is always seen as the mouthpiece and scribe of God throughout the Bible. So we're going to do some sword drills tonight and flip around a little bit in our Bibles. Um, we see in the first five books of the Bible uh, that they were all written by Moses. And all throughout the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, we see uh, agreement on this point. Um, frequently, we find in the scriptures Moses himself writing that he was told to write something down. So let's look at a few of those examples. First in Exodus 24 and verse 4. And I'll just read out the, the scripture, and if someone... Whenever you get there, if you're the first one there, please just read it out loud. So Exodus 24, 4. Okay, that's good. So we see Moses himself recording that he uh, he recorded these words. Also Exodus 34, uh, 27 and 28. Okay, thank you. So we have again an example of Moses himself writing, the Lord told Moses to do this. So he's uh, referring once again to his own uh, writing in the scriptures. Numbers 33 and verse 2. Okay, so uh, as the Israelites are on their journey, Moses writes that he is recording where they're going. And we see that uh, in the scriptures, right? As you read along through uh, the writings of Moses, you see that he is identifying where they stop, where they stay, where they're going, all of these things. So we see, uh, once again, the scriptures themselves are attesting to that happening. Deuteronomy uh, 31 and verse 9, 22, and 24. Okay, verse uh, 22. And 24. Okay, great. So, again, we have these indications of Moses uh, writing. He's writing a a song here. Uh, He is um, he's commanding uh, the Levites um, uh, with regards to what was uh, written. And. uh, In verse 9, we see the writing of the law given to the priests um, who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Um, So what can we conclude if Moses is taking these things that he's written down and they're to be contained within the Ark of the Covenant, what can we conclude about what Moses thought about his own writing? Okay. There really is no other explanation, right? What what was the penalty for one to even touch the Ark of the Covenant? Death. Was that serious? They took it that seriously. Uh, God took it that seriously. And so for the things that Moses wrote to be contained within the Ark of the Covenant uh, shows very clearly that Moses himself was... um, uh, was viewing what he had to write, uh, given to him by God, uh, in a very serious manner, to be Scripture. Now, uh, what do you suppose uh, 
we do with uh, the end of uh, the book of Deuteronomy uh, where it speaks of Moses' death. Did Moses write that chapter? Who wrote the last chapter of Deuteronomy? Most likely it was Joshua. Remember, Joshua takes over from where Moses leaves off to lead the Israelites across the Jordan into the Promised Land. So he most likely wrote the final chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, tells of Moses' death. Um, now, uh, historically, think through uh, Joshua uh, leads. We come to the sad years of Israel's disobedience uh, during the period of the judges. Um, but even here, there's a reference to the commandment of Moses. Look at Judges chapter 3 and verse 4. Judges 3 and verse 4. Someone read that for us. Okay, thank you. So it's by the hand of Moses, but what is it? What does he say it is? Moses wrote it, but what did he write? Okay, the commandments of the Lord, the word of God. So when we see the law of Moses, the commandments of the Lord, the law of God, all of these are references to what we have uh, written by the hand of Moses. Uh, and we see that time and time again through the scriptures. Um, the same law of Moses uh, handed down through the line of kings to Judah. Uh, David gives it to Solomon in 1 Kings 2. Uh, and then we see, I listed out all the various kings there uh, and the scripture reference to where we see they are, they are given the law of God. In other words, they're given the writings of Moses. Why? Because it is the word of God. So we see that through all of, all of the kings. We see that while they're in exile. Uh, the prophets of the exile reminded Israel of the law of Moses. You see that in Ezekiel 7 and Daniel 9. We're not going to look up all of these tonight. But um, you can see all of these references to the law of God being passed on through the people as they're prophesying. And as history, redemptive history is being played out. It is all, um, it is all foundationally beginning with these uh, five books of Moses. Um, the Psalms frequently reference the law of God. Uh, Psalm 119, it's hard to escape, uh, references to the law of God. This is the greatest example. There are only five verses in out of 176 verses in Psalm 119 that don't contain a direct reference to the law of God, to, uh, to these five books of the Scriptures. Uh, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah both refer to the law, to the law of Moses. Um, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah all refer to the law. And Malachi urges the nation on behalf of God, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, at Sinai, for all Israel. So we see even as we end the Old Testament in Malachi, there is still reference back to uh, that which was written by the hand of Moses. So we see uh, just this uh, brief look at all of this that the Jews throughout the entire Jewish history that we can read in the Old Testament, uh, they've always accepted the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, as the law of God. 
And that's very important as we consider how we came to understand what we have uh, to be the Word of God. Well, those first five, I would say, are uh, pretty well taken care of. Um, You'll see it also into uh, the New Testament. Uh, But let's... uh, A few more things off of, uh, not on your sheet there... Um, Moses spoke of a time that would be many centuries ahead when Israel would choose a king to rule over them. And that's exactly what they did, right? They begged for a king, um, and, uh, and as a result, they got what they wanted. But uh, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17 Verses 18 and 19. Someone read those for us. Thank you. Moses expects that these books that he has written would be copied and would be kept by the people. Uh, He expects that his words are going to form uh, Israel's religious life forever. Um, and because of this, he not only wrote the book of uh, he not only wrote the book of the law, but he also um, read it to the people. We see that in Exodus 24. He placed a copy for safekeeping beside the Ark of the Covenant. We see that in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, so these copies are being made. He's commanding copies be made. And when Israel eventually asks for a king, we see here, he says he is to be, uh, he is to have a copy of the law of God and to read it to the people and to meditate on it and to know it. Um, so uh, we see, that, again, the importance that is placed upon uh, the book of the law. Uh, now let's, let's think about the prophets the books of the of the prophets, as we think of the divisions that are made uh, among the Hebrew people, the prophets themselves witness to the authority of each other in many instances, and I've only listed a few examples here. Um, there's a long tradition of writing among uh, the prophets, and in some instances, we have uh, we even have um, uh, evidence of them being commanded. Uh, to write down their message in uh, Jeremiah 30, Habakkuk 2. Um, But what is more important is that the prophets refer to each other's ministries um, and they remind the people that what came out of those is the word of God. So let's uh, let's consider a few of these. Uh, Jeremiah 28 and verse 8. Okay, thank you. So, Jeremiah speaks approvingly of the, what is he referencing? Their prophecy, so they have some form of authority, right? He approves of their authority. Those prophets who preceded you and me, those who prophesied before us. Uh, in Jeremiah twenty six eighteen. 18. Um, you don't have to go there. It's a It's reminding the people of a verse that uh, is found in Micah chapter 3 and verse 12. So there's a cross-reference. Usually when we think of cross-references, we we often think of uh, looking at something in the New Testament and finding it in the Old Testament. 
Uh, here we see, even among the prophets, the book of the prophets, that there is a direct cross-reference. Uh, Micah was a prophet who began his ministry 120 years before Jeremiah. And, uh, and Jeremiah is quoting uh, from the book of Micah. Ezekiel 38.17, let's look at that. Okay, so we see a reference to the prophecies of Isaiah concerning the enemies of Israel. Isaiah prophesied some 200 years before Ezekiel. And now we have a reference uh, back to that among the prophets once again. Um, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2 reveals Daniel had been reading from Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. Again, a, a direct cross-reference, this time uh, from Daniel to Jeremiah. Uh, Zechariah 1, 4 through 6. There's reference to uh, Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 31, to passages in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So uh, we're pointing out here, we see all of these cross-references because the prophets saw one another as authoritative. So once again, as we look at this, what, where does their authority come from? Because they stood boldly and said, I am a prophet. No, they all recognize that this is truly a word from God. It is the word of the Lord. And therefore, it, it receives the um, authority uh, that goes behind any word of God. Um, so we have uh, the, uh, the book of the law, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, written by Moses. The law of God, the word of God. We see the book of the prophets. So all of the uh, prophetic books, um, as are listed on that first page, and many cross-references even within themselves. Um, But we also can look to the evidence of the New Testament to find uh, that uh, it was the Old Testament, as we have it now, was completely accepted by Jesus and the apostles. Um, give you uh, several examples. Let's look at uh, Luke 24, 44. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. So the law of Moses, that's the first division, right? The prophets, the second division, and the Psalms. Where do we find that? If you reference your note. Yeah, in the writings. So he's referring to all three divisions of the scriptures right there. Uh, Jesus himself. So obviously he accepts these to be uh, the books of uh, the Old Testament that are the sufficient scriptures. Um Matthew 13.35, we see Christ quoting from a Psalm 78.2. Uh, and he says that it, that word came from the prophet. Um, and that, that's no mistake. Uh, no Jew would ever have suggested that it was if it, if it wasn't. Um, uh, Luke 11.50 and uh, 51. Let's look at that one. Thank you. So Jesus uh, lists, who does he mention in this uh, verse 50? 
Okay, Abel and Zechariah. Where do we see Abel? Genesis chapter... Four. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4, we see Abel. And Zechariah was who? A prophet, right. Okay, so uh, we know that a large part of the Old Testament is written by the prophets. Um, when we think of prophecy or the work of a prophet, what do we generally conclude? What are they doing? Okay, they're speaking of things yet to come, right? They're foretelling something in the future. Is that the only work of the prophet? Do you have something, John? Okay, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> Good find, though. That's creative. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so we think of prophets foretelling something yet to come. Uh, what else? What else is the prophetic work, though? Okay, proclaiming, "Thus saith the Lord." So a lot of the prophetic uh, work we see in the Old Testament was a foretelling of what was yet to come, but much of uh, the work of the prophets was also to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. They received a word from God, and it was proclaimed. So a prophet did not simply foretell the future, uh, but more especially his primary role is to uh, give God's word. And so he's the voice of God to the people. Um, So under this definition, not only Moses, but also David and Solomon and Ezra and Nehemiah, all of these we can look to and say that they were uh, doing the role, uh, fulfilling the role of a prophet in that sense. Um, Even books that we don't uh, necessarily know who wrote them. Judges, Ruth, Job, Chronicles, all of these books. Uh, These are written uh, by the words of a prophet. Um, and these were accepted by uh, the Lord Jesus, by the Jews, um, and uh, all that we, we can see in the intertestamental period onto the first century. We see them accepting the word of the prophets. So um, often when we look through the New Testament, there's reference to the law of Moses, uh, to uh, the writings of the prophets. We're speaking of the whole canon of the Old Testament. Uh, I just made note there, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament 250 times and makes over 900 allusions from all but six of the Old Testament books. That's impressive. Yes, sir. Good question. uh, We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, There were some things that went on with uh, some, uh, as the, the... church progressed in the history of the church that uh, they got mixed around a little bit. So any questions about any of that before we uh, press on to talk about the Apocrypha? Uh, That's a great question. Who wants to take a stab at it? Okay, closed canon. Why is it closed? Anyone have any thoughts? It's a great question because it comes up a lot. 
Okay, good. Okay. Sure, yeah. The, uh, the, the word of the apostles, so as the apostles died, uh, so went um, uh, the word of the Lord in that sense. But uh, let, let's even take it, what if there was something else uh, written that was supposed to be included in the Bible, but it's not? How do we know? Caleb, what do you think? Okay, but uh, the Apostle Paul refers to a third letter to the Corinthians that we don't have. Should that be in the uh, closed canon of Scripture? True? Okay. Good, you're on to something. What, what was required for a book to be included? Some of, some of the, sure, sure. Do we think everything Paul ever wrote was uh, authoritative and um, uh, infallible and uh, just to be viewed at the same level as all the rest of Scripture? If so, then we need to have those letters, Right. And yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Here's the easy answer. We know uh, that the 66 books of the Bible are uh, complete and final because that's what the Lord has given to us. That's what the Lord has confirmed through history time and time again. And on top of that, every historical discovery that's made when they come across ancient manuscripts, uh, the latest being in the 40s, um, it confirms everything that we have concluded about even what the early church accepted as Scripture. It's overwhelming, the evidence. So when, you, uh, when the um, Discovery Channel does us all a favor and has a special about the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas, um, we have to understand uh, what their agenda is as compared to what we see in the Scripture. There are very distinct uh, conditions that had to be met in order for a book to be included in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, because we've already seen the Old Testament uh, attesting to its own authority. And it's verified by the writers of the New Testament. And it's verified through uh, the history of the church. Uh, the New Testament, when we get on to that uh, next week, we'll see what those criteria were and how um, uh, the very strict criteria that was given uh, affirms that uh, the, the books we have, the 27 books of the New Testament, are indeed all we need. Did you have something there? Absolutely. The earliest uh, church fathers reference only the scriptures that we have. And I, I'm going to uh, talk about that here for a little bit. Um, if we look even outside the Bible to all the extra biblical resources that we have, we can affirm uh, that it has always been accepted within the church that the books that we have um, are uh, the closed canon, the completed canon of scripture. Um, some of the most important evidences of all of this came in 1947 at the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, they were found in caves at the Dead Sea, um, and they're dated between 130 B.C. and 68 A.D. So what that means is that these scrolls were 
uh, around during the time of, uh, of Christ himself, right? Um, so on these are the Old Testament books or comments about the Old Testament books. Uh, they're the oldest copies of the Old Testament that are in existence. Um, and so since 1947, uh, they're still doing a lot of work to study those out and, uh, and have yet to find, uh, just as a side note, have yet to find anything from them that contradicts anything or uh, shows that we have anything wrong in our uh, Old Testament text as it is now. Um, they, they take the text and they spread them out to v- various translators and things throughout the world. So no one person has all of I don't know. The uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are, um, they actually, you can, I think you can go online and, and look at uh, prints of them and everything else, too. It's pretty pretty neat to see that stuff. So um, those are the oldest known manuscripts uh, of, uh, of the scriptures. So, um, but what's important here is that we have, um, we have everything confirmed in, Writings that we're able to discover that we didn't even know existed. So uh, that just goes to show even more that what we have is is reliable. Because uh, when we make new discoveries, we need not be scared of what they contain, uh, because they contain the very thing that we affirm. Um, part of what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls was called the Manual of Discipline. It's the book that governed the life of the community. Uh, it was sort of the rule book for everyone who lived uh, in and around that uh, community. Um, it introduces a quotation from Isaiah. It says, it is written. So everything that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, as a book of scripture was being introduced, it began with, it is written, or God said, or the Lord said. So as uh, you look through the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can see um, all the references to scripture, and then what follows is exactly what we have in the Bible. Um, And again, we see the distinction between the law and the prophets. So this has always been the case. It's been verified, uh, even in our latest findings. Uh, Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish historian between A.D. 37 and 100. So uh, he was around just after the death of Christ and certainly around during the time of the apostles and the first uh, the first church. Um, here's something that, uh, that Josephus wrote. He wrote this, For we have not an innumerable multitude of books among us, disagreeing from and contradicting one another as the Greeks have, but only 22 books, remember we talked about why 22, which contain the records of all the past time, which are justly believed to be divine, and of them five belong to Moses. But as to the time from the death of Moses till the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, the prophets who were after Moses wrote down what was done in their time in 13 books. The remaining four books contain hymns to God and precepts for the conduct of human life. Now, Josephus uh, 
uh, didn't mention in there is the book of the Twelve, uh, the Twelve uh, Prophets that we see at the end. But he's referenced them in other places, so we know he held those also to be a part of Scripture. So uh, Josephus, even uh, the, the most noted uh, church historian or Jewish historian during the time of the very first church, is referencing uh, the canonized uh, Old Testament. So for Josephus and the Jews of his time, the Hebrew scriptures came from God through Moses, through the prophets. And that's what we have now. And there is uh, no um, there is no contradiction in any of that. You also see and I won't go through all of the history here, but uh, you see it outlined in the Talmud in uh, the church historians uh, Philo and. um, um, Oh, who else? Um. Irenaeus, uh, you see references to uh, the books of the Bible. So on and on and on we can go through uh, even all of the early church fathers and see that. Um, Now, after the apostles had died, you start to see the order of the books begin to change. So obviously we don't have the divisions that uh, we uh, we see in uh, the early texts. Um, Origen in A.D. 254... He agreed with Josephus in all that we saw. Uh, We see that played out. Uh, But he uh, he accidentally omits uh, the book of the Twelve. We see because it wasn't in uh, what I just read to you. That would have been what they relied upon. Uh, It was referred to uh, later. But it was an oversight because uh, certainly um, it was was referred to in number. so what happened then is they began to try to reorder the books. Some of the reordering in the early church was to try and get a little bit more of a chronological feel to uh, how things were going. But still, that's not uh, completely accurate because, um, for example, the book of Job would be much earlier in the Bible if we're looking for some kind of chronological order. Um, but the idea is that we'll keep the law together, so we're not going to throw Job into the middle of uh, the five books of Moses. Um, some of the prophets are uh, maybe a little bit out of order. Some of that's because of disagreement about the uh, time and the authorship of those things. But what we have now is closer to a chronological order than what would have been divided. But um, all of that has to do mainly with those who were uh, working with uh, the text in the early church to, uh, to make it more readable and accessible uh, as the church was beginning to grow and as copies were being made and distributed to the churches and everything else. So um, it's not a science. There's, uh, there's, no, there's nothing authoritative about the way the books are ordered, um, just as there's nothing authoritative about the chapter and verse numbers in the Bible. Um, but uh, it, is, it is how it is and it has been for quite a while because uh, through translation and everything else, that's what's been settled on. So... So hopefully uh, we can come out of this and uh, be assured that the Old Testament is not, as some might suggest, uh, accepted as Scripture over a long period of time. We don't see that. We see Moses himself referring to his own writings as Scripture. Uh, It's not something that came uh, at the conclusion of a church council or a group of uh, scholars who got together, uh, Jewish rabbis, Christian bishops, whatever you want to say. Uh, It's not at their hand that all of this became scripture. Um, And in fact, the only only Jewish council, uh, the Council of Jamnia, um, they met... uh, 
shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And the only thing they met to do was to affirm that uh, the books of the Old Testament that have always been relied upon uh, were the true books uh, of Scripture. Uh, And that's all they did. They were confirming what uh, we already know, what they already understood to be the Word of God. So, what do we do with some of the additional books that have been accepted by some throughout history? And specifically, now we're talking about the Apocrypha. Um, Before I jump into that, are there any other questions uh, about any of the other stuff? Okay. Apocrypha. Apocrypha is taken from the Greek adjective for hidden. So these are thought to be the, uh, the hidden books of the Bible. Um, now, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, we have approximately a 400-year uh, period of time. This was a very uh, tumultuous time for the Jewish people. Uh, in the history of the Jewish nation, there were battles and suffering. Uh, there was uh, great war and famine and disease and everything else. Well, you don't read about that anywhere in the Bible. Um, but there, uh, there were Jews who were writing. There are many writings that come out of the intertestamental period, and 14 of those uh, writings uh, were brought together to form what's called the Apocrypha. Um, Some count it to be 15 because there's a book called Baruch, and uh, sometimes that's divided into two different ones. Now, we don't hold the Apocrypha to be authoritative, and we'll talk about why in just a moment, but um, they are, in part, some of them are useful for historical understanding. Uh, For example, the book of Maccabees 1 and 2 is helpful uh, historically. There is some historical information to help us know what was going on uh, in, uh, in Israel at the time. Um, it helps us to understand what the Jews were thinking about the coming Messiah. Our greatest understanding of, uh, of the Jews' idea that the Messiah coming would be a king who would reign on the earth and have a throne and uh, run off uh, the, the Roman rule and everything else is, is not necessarily what we understand from the New Testament, although we get that from there, but primarily because of what we see going on in the writings of the intertestamental period and references to the Apocrypha. Um, so the books of uh, the Apocrypha include, um, and these are just what they, they're called, uh, First and second Esdras, it deals with the events of rebuilding the city after the exile. Uh, that's recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. So it's most of the apocryphal books are kind of continuations of other stories you see in the Old Testament. Um, the rest of Esther, uh, it retells the Bible story of Esther. Uh, Tobit and Judith are accounts of the life after the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the Song of the Three Holy Children, who knows what that's about? Anyone? This is a story of the continued lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the story of the three holy children. Um, The history of Susanna and Bel, the dragon, are both stories about Daniel. And finally, the two books of Maccabees um, are some of the Maccabean wars before the birth of Christ. Um, 
the 14 books of the Apocrypha have never, ever been accepted by Protestant Christians. Um, they have, on the other hand, been accepted by the Roman Catholic Church and still are uh, today. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church attributes the Apocrypha with the same authority that they do all of the rest of Scripture. So if you have a Catholic Bible, it includes the Apocrypha. Yes. Uh, A.D. 405 was when they made their final. What's that? With Constantinople. Yeah. It, um, that's when uh, they, they, the Catholic Church started making, uh, after 325 A.D., they started making all of these uh, decrees about um, this is how it is. And uh, that's when they, uh, they came together. And this is why people want to refer to councils uh, that determine what's in the Bible because they're thinking of all of these things. But we had all this well before for adding the Apocrypha uh, because of uh, the historical significance and the Pope liked it. <laughs> That's what most things come down to in uh, Roman Catholic history. If the Pope wanted it to be that way, then that's what it was. Um, in terms of the Apocrypha? Well, that, that was uh, a big part of the, uh, the remonstrance of the Reformers. All of their uh, rebellion against uh, Rome was uh, in part because of the acceptance of the Apocrypha, which they knew was garbage. They knew it was not inspired text because of all the historical evidence. So a large part of what Martin Luther was leading in the charge to do was to, uh, was to get rid of um, the Apocrypha from the Scriptures. Yes, absolutely. It's very clear. You read our confession in the first chapter, and we'll get to that when we are there. They make reference to these are Scripture, the 66 books, and it lists them out. Orthodox Jews? No. most uh, Some may, but uh, most do not. Um, Eastern Orthodox uh, Christians, they uh, kind of waffle on this. Some do, some don't. Uh, most of them would say it's probably scriptural, but uh, they, along with Rome, would say that tradition and scripture are equally authoritative, so uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, at the Council of Trent in 1546, and if you're thinking time period, and this may be what Steve's referring to, um, Reformation is kicking off. Rome is trying to make a stand on all of these things. So uh, Rome made up its mind that if you don't accept the uh, Apocrypha as Scripture, uh, then there's a curse on you. And so they uh, declared a curse on all who do not hold to the Apocrypha in 1546. Um, so we're all cursed by Rome. la di da um, So should, why should we not accept the Apocrypha as Scripture? Let's talk about this real quick um, before we go so we don't divide it out. I, I listed nine reasons there. there I could probably list uh, at least uh, 15 or 20 more, but these are the nine uh, best reasons. Uh, first, neither Jesus nor any New Testament writer ever quoted anything from the Apocrypha. So remember, I said in the New Testament we have reference to all but six of the Old Testament books. 
So there's a pretty well-established a pattern here of all of the books uh, in some way other than six being referenced in the New Testament. Fourteen of them that have made up this uh, collection of books, none of them referenced or alluded to. So uh, that's, uh, that's, that's one uh, good reason uh, as, we, as we look at the Apocrypha. Two, Josephus and the Talmud. What's the Talmud? Does anyone know? The Talmud was the Jewish book of, uh, of laws. So <clears throat> this is largely what the ideas of the Pharisees and Sadducees were based on. Uh, they took the law of God, the law of Moses, and they built upon it even more. And so the Talmud was a collection of everything that they, uh, that they commanded of the people. So uh, things like you couldn't dip a radish in salt on the Lord's Day. That would have been recorded in the Talmud um, so that they knew uh, to reference that. Um, so Josephus, the earliest of the Jewish historians that we know of, and the Talmud are clear. They very clearly state that the Apocrypha is no part of the Old Testament. You see this in the first century. Uh, third, Dead Sea Scrolls never introduce the apocryphal books with it is written or God says. Remember I said any time any scripture was referenced in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it began with one of those statements. A fourth, the Jewish philosopher uh, Philo quotes from or refers to all but five Old Testament books, never the apocryphal works. Um, I mentioned uh, number five, the Council uh, of the Jews at Gemnia in AD 90. Uh, they rejected the apocrypha. They only held to the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have. Uh, none of the books claim inspiration. None of them claim authority, as we see throughout the books of the Old Testament with the prophets and Moses. Uh, some include even historical errors. Uh, some of them contradict the teachings of the Old Testament. Um, so certainly we can easily toss those. Uh, those aren't uh, the word of God. They contradict uh, everything else. Um, which blows me away that uh, you do have uh, Rome holding to those. It contradicts the rest of Scripture. Oh, man, I, I haven't read them in a long time. I can't. Uh, I, it would be more historical, more along the lines of time period. It'd be contradictions with um, uh, mainly when things happened. That's, that's mainly it is along the timeline. Um, A.D. 170, Melito confirmed, uh, again, the Old Testament books accepted in the Jerusalem church. Most of the early uh, Christians agreed uh, of the first four centuries of uh, Christian history that uh, the 39 books we have are what they are. That is it. Um, And uh, lastly, uh, there is very, very little spiritual value, if any, in the apocryphal writings. Again, they're mainly historical. Um, and even from that, some of them are just uh, silly stories or um, riddles, uh, some songs and poems and things like that, but very little of any kind of spiritual significance at all. Um, the only one that's ever been looked to with any kind of fondness, uh, John Bunyan wrote that he found some help in the book of Ecclesiasticus, um, but is, uh, is considered like a, a wisdom writing. But Again, there's some historical um, discrepancies there, so it's clearly not Scripture. True? Well, 
Sure, they also claim that the Pope is of the same authority as Jesus Christ. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it, it blows me away, um, particularly given the, uh, when all of that happened. Um, and the reason it seems that the Catholic Church came down so hard on it was simply to, uh, to reject the Reformers, to have more reason to point to them as uh, those who were heretics and were trying to stir up unrest and everything else. So uh, it's kind of a uh, don't confuse the situation with the facts. Uh, we're going to uh, go uh, full, full steam ahead with this because we have an agenda. Uh, that seemed to be the case with uh, with Rome, and uh, not much has changed. <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions? We answer all your questions about the Apocrypha, Josh? Oh, okay, good. Sure. Anything else? All right, next week we'll jump into the New Testament. Uh, Same sort of overview of how we come to have uh, the 27 books of the New Testament and what they are. And then after that, we're going to kick off uh, uh, into the uh, Confession of Faith. And we'll be there for at least 20 years. (laughs) Yes, sir. Um, Yes. Depends. Some Jews, Orthodox Jews, as... uh, I think Scott was referring to, um, many of them only hold to the Pentateuch. Not all, but many of them. Um, but most Jews hold to the entirety of the Old Testament. Um, early on, the, the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and many of them were only holding to uh, the Pentateuch as well. The Pharisees held to all of the Old Testament. So it just kind of depends. Anything else? Yes. Oh, that's right. Kaylee turned 30 today. I told her it's not that bad. She's in a new race uh, category now. She's excited about that. Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Would you ask her? In 1947? (laughs) The, uh, there are, um, fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls are on display. They're kind of like traveling around the United States. When I was in New York City, they had them up there. I didn't get to see them, though. Really? Oh, like the, the big owner of Hobby Lobby. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, seriously? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> Great. Well, let's uh, let's pray. We'll be done. Lord, thanks so much uh, that we can uh, spend this time together and learn and grow and uh, be encouraged. I am encouraged, Lord, every time I think about these things to uh, to rediscover. Uh, how uh, how wonderful you have 
um, you have been to us in revealing yourself to us throughout redemptive history, in preserving your word, in giving it to us, in proving time and time again, uh, historically, archaeologically, in all of these ways that what we have is reliable, what we have is sufficient, and what we have truly is uh, the complete uh, word of God uh, for us. Um, And so, uh, Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that we have the Bible. We thank you for the opportunity to study the Bible. And uh, and we pray, God, that you would would help us um, to have a... uh, a greater understanding of these things. You give us a greater desire to learn more about them. And, uh, and Lord, uh, a greater um, courage as we talk about them with uh, an unbelieving world, uh, that we have uh, evidence uh, to, to stand on of the reliability of the Scriptures, but most importantly, uh, that that evidence comes from the Bible itself. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you help us to never be ashamed of that, uh, but to, uh, to find our... Um, to find our assurance in it. And uh, we're thankful that you have attested um, uh, through, uh, through the law and through the prophets and through the writings uh, to, uh, to show us uh, how reliable uh, your word is. Lord, um, we are thankful for Kaylee and uh, for her 30 years and pray, God, that you continue to bless her and show her great uh, grace. And, uh, and Lord, we, uh, we pray for our sister with thankful hearts for Um, for who she is and for her uh, loving service uh, to our church family uh, through the years. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you help all of us um, uh, the remainder of this week uh, to continue to uh, serve uh, in wherever we are uh, to your glory, onto the Lord and not onto man. And uh, Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts as we come together for uh, worship on the Lord's Day. We love you. Uh, We're so grateful for your grace and your love and for this time to gather and study together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night.